Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and we have a special new guest with us today. It's important that we uh, we, we broaden out uh, the, the topics that we cover and add some of the new personalities, uh, great people that we know and love uh, working here at RBC Global Asset Management. And we've got uh, Andrew Hay, here, Andrew, by the way, here by popular demand, we had, uh, we had Mike Kidd on. Uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, after they listened to him, and I mean, no disrespect to Mike, he's a lovely guy, but I started getting emails saying, well, you should really have Andrew Hay on, because he's the head of global infrastructure, and that it's, infrastructure is really the cool thing to talk about uh, on a podcast. So uh, so thanks for uh, accepting the invitation, and, and welcome to the download. Uh, Dave, it's great to be here. Uh, just past my two-year anniversary with RBC GAM, but I have to confess, this is the first time I've been described as a personality. So I'm looking forward to speaking with you this morning. Wow. I, I, I mean, you're uh, they, pe- people can't see it because this is a, a uh, an audio podcast only. But you uh, it's too bad because you uh, you are you they, too bad. They can't see you on video because you, you are a uh, you are clearly a spectacular personality. They're going to learn about that. But two years at RBC. Mm. Um, why don't you why don't you give us a, a, a quick rundown on your background and how you got into this and 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 why you're interested in this particular area of marketing? How, how did you get here? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd at heart, uh, and that's really that's kind of how I ended up here. I started my career in the '90s in computer science. And what I loved about computer science was the problem solving, the algorithms, the efficiency of it. Went back to school for a master's degree in finance, and then out of that landed in consulting because they wanted some sort of computer nerd to migrate that technology into Excel. And very quickly, that became modeling infrastructure businesses, infrastructure companies. And one of the things that I love about infrastructure is that you really have to understand how the business works in order to understand how it makes money and where the risks are. So I was in, I was in consulting for six years with, uh, with KPMG. We had a world-class uh, office focused on infrastructure based out of Toronto. So I got to travel around the world, uh, got to meet some people, got to break out of that computer science uh, insular, often insular mindset and, uh, you know, active listening, understanding the problems that that uh, clients were facing. And, and so that really grew into an appreciation for the asset class. And then in 2006, uh, I moved over to CPP Investments. I had seen the rise of some of the Canadian pension plans getting into this, this direct infrastructure investing space, the OMERS teachers, some of the early movers. Yeah. CPP was launching their program and uh, I was uh, an early joiner and just excited to help build their program over the 14 years that I was there. And then, uh, you know, that leads to RBC GAM and the approach that Michael Kitt had taken to bring that institutional quality investing of, of that kind of pension plan model to our individual and institutional clients here at RBC. Yeah, and and that's what's uh, what what's so exciting about what you're doing with uh, with Michael and and the team uh, is giving um, you know at the everyday investor uh, the opportunity to get access to this space. And as we're going to dig into it, we're going to find out what it is and why it's so important and how it adds value as part of a portfolio. Because obviously, if uh, Omers and the Canadian Pension Plan and and those things are are adding this asset class into their portfolio, there's got to be a value to it. So why don't we, why don't we start with, uh, you know, what is, what do we describe? We say infrastructure. What do we mean by that as an asset class? Maybe sort of uh, put some, uh, put some color around what exactly it is you're looking at, how broad the space is and, and, uh, and, 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 and sort of where you focus in, in terms of where you're investing in your portfolio. 
Yeah, infrastructure, the definition gets changed over time, but the way I think about it is it's those components that contribute to your, your, your daily life or your society's daily life. And the classic definition, if we go back 30 years ago, we were thinking about two big sectors, transportation and utilities. In the transportation side, you'd be thinking about roads or toll roads, because these are all, all of the, what I described today will be under private ownership. But uh, toll roads, airports, ports, rail companies. And on the utility side, you can think about utilities either in uh, what they're carrying or what stage they are in the logistics change. In, term, in terms of what they're carrying, it's things like uh, uh, electricity, power, uh, whether it's heating fuels. In, in Toronto here, a lot of people use natural gas, but other heating fuels as well. Or, uh, or water, for instance. So you had utilities definition by that, by that, what are they carrying? Or by what stage in the value chain are they providing the, uh, the capability set? Is it around the generation and creation of okay. power? Or the transportation of power, or is it around the retail interface to the to the to the customer, the end user? So those are the two classic definitions around transportation and utilities. And over time, as we thought about that same fundamental principle, where it's it's something that supports daily life, and when it supports daily life, they often become uh, natural monopolies, where it only makes sense to have one or two of them. We only have one airport in most cities. In Toronto, here we have two. Uh, in, in, in London, in the UK, they have about five. But usually you have these natural businesses where it makes sense to build up a large defensive capability set where you're investing for the long term, you're investing a lot of money in CapEx and capital expenditure, and then you're realizing the benefits for decades to follow. So that's kind of how we think about infrastructure. It's certainly grown over time with new definitions coming out. The pandemic has made us very aware that uh, digital Connectivity is now part of what we need on day to day life. And so we're really seeing new asset classes get introduced as well over time. Is, is there so, so you talk about the pandemic and, and digital. Where else is that definition expanded? Because, I, you know, even if you follow politics, mm -hmm. uh, infrastructure has become a big word around things that, again, most people wouldn't necessarily think of as as you know, the building blocks of our day-to-day our -day lives, as, as you kind of described it, but go, go beyond that. So, so what other areas now kind of encompass infrastructure uh, in, the, 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 in general thought? Or, and, and then is, is that legitimate? Is that the way you think about it? Does it expand it? Yeah. So let me take it in two directions. One is the introduction to the public sector element that, that, that you ask about, Dave, and then the other will be around risk profile. On, on the, the government interface, I mean, the traditional providers of infrastructures for, for the communities were the governments. And what we're seeing now more than ever is government balance sheets being stretched because of a lot of support that they put into the communities around pandemic support or, or other kinds of support during the challenging period of time that we've had. And so uh, I saw a study recently that talked about the need for private capital coming into infrastructure that had previously been built by governments being uh, a substantially larger number than it has been in the past. Uh, one of the studies called for energy transition, the need for private capital there being eight times in the future what it has been in the past. That was a, a Boston Consulting Group study. But fundamentally, where the definition gets a little bit muddy is where the governments start talking about social infrastructure. And I think the governments should be investing in healthcare. So we have an educated population. This is sort of their policy, not my area of expertise. But, yeah. but those kinds of things generally don't relate to a private sector owner, ownership model. So 
The interface is a little bit tricky to navigate, but where we see it happening in Canada with public-private partnerships is where the government comes to the private sector owner and they say, build us something. We want you to build us a hospital. But once you've built it, we'll really take it over. We'll continue to hire the, the doctors, the nurses and so on. But maybe you'll be responsible for the snow removal in the parking lot. So by bringing the private sector in in a way that allows them to optimize and reduce the overall cost, maybe by spending a little bit more upfront for a good design, but then lower maintenance over time. So bringing the private sector in for like a 30 year ownership model, but the government still delivers the social aspects of, of what's so important to our community. That's one place where, um, where the definition is, is interesting to watch. And the other place, I guess, is around the risk spectrum. And I'll, I'll just, I'll do this one fairly quickly, but if you take those classic definitions that we've talked about, roads, for instance, toll roads, everyone can envision what a toll road is. It's either carrying commuters to work, maybe it's carrying trucks past a, a big bypass for uh, highly urbanized areas. You think about the U.S. interstate. But then as you think about other ways to explore that risk curve, you can think about parking. And is parking higher risk than toll roads? Well, is it street parking? Or is it parking where you own the land? And if you own the land, then maybe you can do something neat in the future, like you can add electric vehicle, EV charging stations, and you can build on it. So the definitions tend to get stretched by risk profile too, where sometimes you don't have that really highly defensive moat and, and, and protecting you from competition or having limited competition, but sometimes you do still have that competition. And one of the questions that I got recently was around airports and what about the person who has a jet refueling business who refuels the airplanes well that's still driven by gdp by by travel but it's definitely a different risk profile than the airport itself the, the airport itself yeah. yeah but but uh, if we we go back to the the, the initial example you used of mm. um of the snow removal at mm. the at the hospital right there is a it's going to snow in canada um mm. for you know every year Right. So there's going to be income that's going to be regularly generated by that company removing the snow. They have got that contract. Uh, they've got the exclusive or, or a long term deal. So you can plan to see that income come in uh, for the investor who invests in that company. And that's really what creates opportunities in this space. You know, very simple. Or I think one of the big examples here in the Toronto area that I always hear my friends and relatives complain about uh, is the 407. Which is a big bypass highway. So if you know the if you know Toronto well, there's the main highways that go through the really the heart of the city, which is the the Gardner Expressway in 401. But as the city's grown, you now needed a different bypass road. Uh, it was built. Uh, it's a toll road, and the government basically you know off offloaded the uh, the, the the highway uh, to I believe it's a Spanish company. Uh, but uh, you 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 you're probably more up to date on that. Um, and basically, they generate the income off the tolls, and uh, and so I, I I hear relatives go, well, geez, that's awful. Why? How how could we have given that up? But what you're saying is, you know, the average investor now has an opportunity to invest in something like that and get the benefit of the income that's being generated off of that infrastructure. Or if I, I I'm in a very narrow space, I know Andrew, but is that is that a kind of a simple way of thinking about where there's some opportunities? Absolutely spot on. Let me let me describe two two things that I build on. Uh, first of all, your definition of long term, stable, predictable cash flows. 
often often linked to inflation is is just that's your that's your snow removal example or or a toll road example right yeah and when you have that stable predictable cash flow you can look at some elements of infrastructure as being very fixed income like very bond like very defensive and that's a nice way to think about adding that component to an investor's portfolio in the uh in the toll road example that you used in the 407 example there was some wonderful ingenuity that came about on account of private ownership where they they had some innovative ways of uh, getting better snow melt with uh, the use of uh, a, a salt mixed with with a water to create a slurry so it was better for the environment because there was less salt there was less cost because there was less salt and there was a better experience for drivers too so bringing in some of that private sector ingenuity into those parts of daily life i think are one of the real wins to uh to an infrastructure business. Yeah. And, and, and like you say, the, uh, you, you know, for, for a lot of investors and particularly, um, you, you know, if I think of, I think of who's listening to this podcast or, or, or the people that are working, uh, with a financial planner or financial advisor, uh, one of the big challenges they have is less, a little less challenging than it, than it was a, a year and a half ago, uh, as interest rates have risen, but is, you know, finding those sources of stable income. And again, with that inflation protection, uh, and and this is this is a space that's particularly interesting, which again is why the the the, the public pensions and private pensions have, uh, have have looked into this space. So so it just seems like as as you've already mentioned that this this area is just exploding. There's a lot of focus on it. Uh, again, coming out of the pandemic and just in general, I'm, I'm driving down the road. I I see a bridge that looks like it's got some cracks in it or a, a pothole. I run through. Uh, that 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 infrastructure is is on people's minds. What what do you see as the as the future for infrastructure? Is I I I would take it that you're pretty optimistic about the direction that this is going. Well, I think that uh, maybe there's two ways to approach this. One is uh, more and more, and what we're leaning into is being able to enable to allow individual investors to get access to this asset class, so they're a provider of capital into the solution set. The solution set meaning matching up the source of capital from investors to the need of capital, like the, the crumbling infrastructure in your example. And when we think about matching those things up, I would say that uh, there's probably three things that are really, really interesting to the investor who's now looking at this for the first time. And the first thing that they see is that there is access to a large investable opportunity set that's been hard to access in the past. And I remember that concept of access has been something that, that you spoke with Michael Kidd about as well. And that really holds true as it relates to infrastructure. And as it relates to the large investable opportunity set, we definitely see the need for, for investment in infrastructure in developed markets as well as emerging markets. But even developed markets need to uh, refresh what's already there and to build new. So in the United States, for instance, they need to refresh the electrical grid but they also need to build new capacity to support renewable power generation that's coming online. You put those two things together and what does this mean? Well, the investment in the US energy grid needs to double from what it has been. And this is just wow. a story that we're seeing around the world. Wow. The, the second thing I'd say is that we're seeing investors appreciate the alignment of time horizon. And Infrastructure is a, is a long-term investment. It fits into that piece of your portfolio where you're willing to park money for 10 years or whatever the number will be, the same way that an investment in your, in your home might be, might be seen. And 
it's really important to think about that alignment. There are transaction costs to get in and out. And so you don't want to, you know, you do, if you have college tuition coming due next week, you don't want to park your money in a long-term illiquid private markets fund. That just doesn't make sense. But if you've got a piece of your portfolio, that's a great spot for it. And the Canadian pension plans, what they've moved to, and this is sort of an averaging, if you look at the largest eight to 10 of them, you see about a 10% exposure to that kind of private illiquid infrastructure asset class. That's where they've moved. And then, of course, they've added another, maybe there's another 10%. I'm using round numbers here, but 10% right. real estate, 10% private equity, and so on. So they have a very large yeah, illiquid private markets element at the end of the day. But the important part is that alignment of interest on the need of capital and the source of capital. And when you have misalignment, you have frictions, you have costs, you have things that can drag down returns. And there's this nice little study that was done by uh, an organization called Focus and Capital on the Long Term, fcltglobal.org. And they, they polled the CFOs of listed companies and they said, would you undertake an NPV positive, so a, a present value positive, a value accretive business, would you, would you, would you invest in this, this new factory that was going to make widgets if it was NPV positive, so you'd sell a lot of widgets in the long term, but there was short term impact to your earnings per share, to your yield. And the majority of CFOs said, no, we can't do that because our stock trades on yield. And so the second real important thing that we're seeing is the investors are responding positively to that message of, oh, I get it. I get this point about alignment on investment time horizon. And yes, I do want a, a small piece of my portfolio in that. And then the third thing, and you mentioned it off the top, is that diversification benefit. And this, when it's structured in this way where it's, where it's private, it's long term, and you have active management as an owner, you have the ability to, uh, to move levers to adjust for the new economic realities of the business that you own then you can create a diversification element to your portfolio that uh, allows you to either um, reduce, the, reduce the volatility of your return without changing your, your expected return, so you reduce the risk, or you can increase the return without changing the volatility. And the mathematicians will talk about the, the low correlation coefficient that this yes. asset class has to relative to fixed income or, or equities. And so exactly. that's really yeah. how we're seeing it fit together. Yeah. And, and then what is fantastic about what you're doing, uh, again, going back to, to Michael's comment about bringing this to the, the, the average investor is, you know, you're not talking about, you know, expenditures of a couple hundred bucks here. Um, you know, you're building an airport, you're talking several billion, you're, 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 in, you're improving the electrical grid, you're talking trillions of dollars. So it's not like I can just fish into my even if I have a significant portfolio and, you know, I, I, I'm, and, and go and buy an airport or in Michael's example, go buy a commercial uh, tower. Uh, but what you can do is you can pool that money together uh, with a firm, with an expertise. And as we pool that together, then we start to get to some significant amounts of money that we can then deploy and create that opportunity for, for diversification uh, using infrastructure. And, and again, it's a proven concept because you've got these massive pension plans uh, that have used this so effectively. And we can almost kind of piggyback onto the concept or, or even find more innovative ways of, uh, of, of doing it because it's, uh, again, a private sector, uh, uh, private sector coming uh, to the table in, and, and involved in investing in, in this sector. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, uh, 
I, I, I know I'm asking dumb questions here. So you're being, uh, you're, you're being very patient or my, my positioning may be off, but, 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 but that's, that's, that's really what we've got here is you've just opened the door to this and then you, you, you've highlighted the diversification benefit. Well, I, I love it. I don't, think, I don't think these are dumb questions, Dave. I think these are great questions. We've opened the door and it is that pooling concept. And that's part of what I think really plays to the, uh, uh, the strength of our platform. And we're trying to lean into these concepts that we're talking about. You, you, you need a strategy to execute against them. We've talked about the what, but we have to talk about the how. How are you doing it? And I think all the elements that you mentioned for me in my first th in my first two years here. I mean, the first year was why why uh, why do we want to do this, and then how do we do this? How do we do this in a way that has integrity to what we're best at, and the things that our clients want? And if if we're not the best provider of that, then we shouldn't do it. So that what and the how I think is a really important way to think through um, uh, designing these kinds of access points when we're, we're making these solutions available. Well, Andrew, that's uh, that, that's a great introduction uh, to the space. Uh, very important highlights just around and 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 what we what we always want to highlight here for for investors when we when we bring on a, a new topic or a, or a new guest, you know, we're really trying to highlight that importance of diversification and thinking of different ways you can diversify your portfolio, whether you're doing it yourself by adding individual pieces, you're managing it on your own, or as many people do, they might give the money to an investment manager to build that entire portfolio. And you want to make sure that whoever you're, um, you're giving that money to, to manage that overall portfolio is getting access to these various areas where you can more broadly diversify your portfolio. And again, either give yourself a boost in returns or at the very least manage the volatility in that portfolio, reduce the risk while you're generating the return you need to reach your financial goals. So it was a really important area to highlight and, and I'd love to get you back again if you're, if you're up to it and, and maybe we can dig deeper into some very specific examples of, uh, of things that you've done or things that you, you think are going to be opportunities in the future in this space. I'd love to come back, Dave. It's, it's great to talk to you. It's, uh, it's great to listen to you and many of the other guests that you've highlighted over the last couple of years that I've been listening to. So um, thank you for the opportunity and, and the excellent questions. Oh, geez, that was, this, was, uh, this was great, Andrew. Real pleasure, uh, real pleasure talking to you, and, uh, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Dave. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.